And uh, we're going to begin to get into this wonderful chapter here. And uh, we're going to begin to explore what Paul had told us back in chapter 7 and in verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit. And we're going to begin to talk about and look at the issue of the newness of spirit. And that's what chapter 8 now is going to be all about. So let's just read the first four verses and uh, just kind of get started here as we uh, move now uh, in our edification. Uh, we're in Romans 8. So we're laying in that foundation. We're in that, the second section. We're laying in all of the groundwork. And honestly, again, I'll say it. I've said it before. This stuff that we're going to be looking at and have been looking at in chapter 6 and 7, now in 8, the average grace believer has no clue what this stuff's talking about. They look at it. They run from it. They do some things to it we'll talk about as we go through. And rather, if you just stop and listen and read and, and study it, it's such, wonderful, it's such a wonderful uh, chapter as we begin to explore the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 8, verse 1. There, there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So again, we're going to be emphasizing that issue, we laid that outline out for you last time, about the power, the power that we now have available to us, so that we're no longer going to live in the defeat of chapter 7. We no longer live in the defeat and the chaos and the conflict of living under the law. That's been done away with. You'll notice verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, what this is, there is therefore... Now, there is therefore. You always have to ask, what's the there, therefore? So we're going to, this is still connecting us to the information in chapter 7 that we're coming out of. So it's a continual of thought here. There's a, we're, he's going to, Paul's now going to provide some detail about the argument that he just made in chapter 7. Look back up there at verse 24. The conclusion here. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He's a mess. He's been trying to live under the law performance system. He's trying to restrain sin all by himself. He's trying to come up there, verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law. There's a war going on inside of him. There's a conflict. Verse 18 for I know, that in, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which, I, which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. There's, in verse 21, I find in a law 
that when I would do good, evil is present with me. That resident evil, there's an evil in, in him. Notice verse 18. For to will is present with me. He wants to live right. He's striving to serve God. He's trying to do it on his own. Again, but how to perform. He's trying. He's, he's working at it. He's doing all the rules, following all of the mechanisms of religion. And yet at the end, what does he say? The conclusion there is what? Man, I, verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. What a mess this is. The, he, verse 20, now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. We looked at Paul, all that study of religion he had, all of that time in the Old Testament he was in, all of that, his career as a Pharisee, his, he, it still didn't give him an answer for the struggle. You know, because, by the way, we all struggle at this. Because what we do is we think what? We can do it. We think I can do it. I can try to stop sinning. I can try to restrain it. But yet, the good that I would, what? I do not. And the evil, which I would not, I would never think about doing that. Guess what? I did it. What a mess. What a, what, that's why he says, verse 24, Oh, wretched man that I am. He's just taught, just all in a, uh, Linda, we were up north for the end of the week, and Linda was un, working with some yarn, and she was having to undo some stuff. And you know what? It was just a ball, it was a mess. She's got patience and long-suffering and forbearance to get through that. Me, I'd have thrown away and start over new, right, you know? Or I wouldn't have even started. <laughs> I'd have just said, eh, back in the bag. You know, but what he, he's just all worked up. Any time, no religion, no external performance system will ever give you the answer to the problem, to the, to the chaos. The outward performance management systems, law, the law, legalism, religion, stuff you impose on yourself, those expectations that you put on yourself and on others, none of that will ever restrain sin in your life. That's where Paul's headed. That's the conclusion. And the reason is, is because fundamentally the problem, by the way, look at 7 verse 12, wherefore the law is what? Holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. See, the problem isn't the law. The, fundamentally the problem is you. In your sin nature, in that old nature, we're by nature, it's called sin. And you know what? You like it. And sin knows that. Sin knows you like it. So what does it do? Verse 11, for sin taking what? Occasion. You know what sin does? Sin knows you like it, so it exploits that. It deceives you. Verse 11 there, it deceived me, and by it slew me. See, you know, this is what's working in you. Paul realized it wasn't working. Again, he just wants to serve God. I, you think about that. He's wanting to do right, live right, 
And he's told himself, you can do it. You can restrain the sin. But guess what? It wasn't working. So then the question then is, 8-1, what's the answer? There is therefore now. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, now we're going to get into the answer. And we're going to get into the power source. We're going to get into the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how he's going to work. And again, right here in chapter 8, 19 times Paul brings up the Holy Spirit. From chapters 1 to 7, we've only seen him one time. You remember chapter 5, verse 5? And it's just a mention of him in his person, who he is. And then from chapters 9 to 16, we only see him mentioned six more times, roughly. Here, 18, 19 times here. So this, this is a critical chapter to understanding that when you're living your life and doing Ephesians 5, verse 18, we've been studying that in the second hour. Be not drunk with wine, where is that excess? But be filled with the Spirit. you got to have eight underneath your belt to understand. This is the foundation of what that is about. Now, if you'll look at verse 1, just real quick, a uh, couple, a little manuscript evidence here. You see the last ten, word, ten words, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit? And then down in verse 4, the last ten words, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit? There's a note in Schofield. It says the statement in, and now he's talking about the ten words at the end of verse 1. The statement ends with Christ Jesus. The last ten words are, are inter, uh, inter, um, interpolated, sorry. So what he says is basically the last ten words, guess what? Of verse 1 should not be there. And where that comes from is, honestly, it comes from a lack of understanding what the word condemnation is talking about. It comes from a lack of understanding of the context of chapter 8. So there's a, the phrase, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, appears in the verse 1 and verse 4. Most scholars consider this special type of a scribal error called dittography, which is the repetition of a letter, symbol, word, or phrase. The thought is that a scribe accidentally copied the phrase from verse 4 in verse 1, and that the textual error repeated itself in later manuscripts, scribal errors do occur as it is testified in the large amount of variance within the textual witness, blah, 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 blah. Wait a minute. Does verse 1 come before verse 4? Then how in the world does a guy copying, see, move over, he's making, he's copying 8-1, and what they say is when he glances back, he goes to verse 4 and copies. I think the scribe's a little smarter than that, to not miss that, to say, hey, wait a minute. See? Now, what happens is, is they get into this issue about alpha and, and B, and it's all codex, and it's all... Um, Greek manuscripts and so forth. And you know what happens? Alpha and B don't have the reading. They stand against the Texas Receptus, which does have it. 
According to Nestle's apparatus, the plurality of all the manuscripts has the reading. In fact, Aladraniness, uh, uh, one of their critical text manuscripts, has the reading. You know what they find out? That it's just, it's always been there. So it's not a, this other guy, he's got a quote here. He's got, among, in support of the vast majority of the Greek text, among them are, and he's got a list of one, two, three, four, about 20 Greek parchments that have 8-1 the way you have it in your Bible today. So when you hear somebody say, well, those last 10 words shouldn't be there, just ignore them because they don't know what they're talking about. They've heard somebody say it, they've picked it up, and they've run with it, and I'll bet you dollars to donuts, I'll take you to lunch, you name the restaurant, we'll go, that what they're missing understanding is what the text is all about. There is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So is there condemnation? Yes, there is, see? But there is no condemnation in Christ who do what? Walk after the Spirit. So if I'm not walking after the Spirit, then what is there? Condemnation. So they begin to ball it all up in this uh, judo of words. And it's like, wait a second. What does the passage talk about? What's happening here? Well, first of all, if we have condemnation... What do, they, what do the critics then begin to say? Well, then you're really not saved. You can lose your salvation if you're not doing what that verse says. That's why, that's why they like to pull it away. Because they think the condemnation has to do with what? Your justification. You follow? This verse has nothing to do with your redemption. This verse has nothing to do with your justification. All right. I've got books on my shelf at home in my library. Come back to chapter 5, verse 1. Well, well let's stay in 8.1 just a second. Grace, grace writers, and you know what they say about 8.1? Drop the last 10 words. You know why? Because they misunderstand what condemnation is talking about. They misunderstand the context. Because you know what they think, condemnation? If I'm walking in the flesh and not after the Spirit, wait a minute, I'm in Christ, so how can I have condemnation? Follow? Okay? Well, first of all, the verse has nothing to do with our redemption. There is therefore what? Now. Where are we in the now? Are we, are we getting saved in eight, or have we already been saved? We've already been saved, chapter 5, verse 1. So you've got to leave, this, leave these verses where they, go, where they belong. Chapter 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith. Being, you be what? What are you be in 5, 1? You be justified, redeemed, saved. We have what? Peace with God. How do, in, in what manner now do we have peace with God? Judicially, Right? Not functionally, judicially. What did the righteousness of God say in the first three chapters? Humanity's guilty. We've proved that what? They're all under sin. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay? 
So when you come to 5.1, what, what you be? If you believe by faith, chapter 4, verse 5, you're justified. You have peace with God judicially. You're not at odds with him. Our eternal standing is absolute. It's settled. We're complete in him. It's a done deal. So the condemnation, come back to chapter 8 there, has nothing to do with our redemption and being redeemed, being justified, however you need to think about it. But rather, it has to do with our functionality. You see, when we begin, there are five deaths in Scripture. When you, okay? One of those five deaths is functionality, functional death. You're not functioning as who you are in Christ. If you walk after the flesh, guess what you're not going to be doing? We're going to see in chapter 8, verse 5, you're not minding the things of the, fle- of the Spirit. You're doing what? You're doing what you want to do. See? But if I'm going to come over here and walk after, function, after, function in the things of the Spirit, then what is there? No condemnation. If I'm over here in this flesh, what is there? Condemnation. How? Functionally, not judicially. The justice of God has been satisfied by the propitiatorial act of the Son. Chapter 325. It is a done deal. Ephesians 1.13 says that when you trusted, what did he do with you? He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. That's a done deal. The transaction is done. The earnest of our inheritance, the day of redemption, it's a done deal. That's 114. See? So then what are we talking about here? By the way, the five deaths, just the first one is physical death. It's appointed unto man once to die. Okay? Then that verse goes on and says, then what? The judgment. That's usually the second death. First death is physical death. Then you have spiritual death. And that's where you're separated from God in time, in the moment. Okay? Then you have the second death. That's when you're separated from God for eternity. Revelation 20. Okay? The fourth death is positional death. That's Romans 6, where you're identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. How? Positionally. And then the fifth death is functional death, which is what we're talking about here in Romans 8. So physical death, that's one, you die once, they, you know, we had the funeral last week for Ken West, and we laid him to re- his body to rest right there in the hole in the ground. That's a physical death. Because he's in Christ, he'll never experience the second death because we had a positional death with that identity issue, Romans 6, with Christ. Because he died our second death. So, come back to Romans 8. In Romans 8, we're not talking about, you know, we're talking, we are talking about functional death. That's where we're at. Now, Romans 8, verse 1 has a context. That helps you understand what condemnation is talking about. 
is in the context. Come over to chapter 6. Chapter 6, the wider context. The context of Romans 8 is Romans 6, 7, and 8. Okay, Romans 6 has a, here a wider context, verse 16. Romans 6, 16. Just notice something about, it's very fascinating. I told you when we went through here, he, he talks about death and dying a lot. <laughs> Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Hey, if you walk after the flesh, this is what's going to happen. And if you walk after the spirit, this is who. So who are you going to obey? Who do you allow to be the master in your life? Servants, whether of sin unto what? What kind of death? It isn't spiritual death because you're what? You're in Christ. That's what verse 3 and 4 is all about, 5, 1. It's what kind of death? Well, look at what he says. If you yield yourselves servants to what? To obey his servants, ye are to whom ye obey. He's talking about servants, service. If you're going to go after sin functionally, what's going to happen to you? You're going to die. Or of obedience unto righteousness. If you go over here and you serve, follow the Spirit, be led of the Spirit, follow after, walk after the Spirit, what's, where are you going to go? You're going to have into, into some righteousness. Look at verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is what? What kind of death? Functional. If you're living in that stuff, you're not functioning as who you are in Christ. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. <laughs> you see, that word condemn, to pass adverse judgment on someone or something. I think death, functional death, is a pretty adverse thing, isn't it? So in chapter 6, if you live in your old identity, if you live in who you are in Adam, you live in that flesh, the fruit you produce is death. That's condemnation. Look in chapter 7. By the way, do you want death to be the fruit of your life? Most people say no then why are you doing walking in the flesh? You need to be over here minding the things of the Spirit. Chapter 7, look at verse 5. When we hear Paul talking about, basically Paul in chapter 7 says, I participated in the religious system out there, and you know what I produced? You know what the fruit I produced? Death. 7-5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. When you are self-righteous, faking it till you can make it type of idea, say the right things, do the right things, but you know what you're walking in underneath that performance system? What are you going to produce? Death. Condemnation. If you look at verse 9, Paul says, For I was alive without the law once. You know what? I was walking right. I was walking after the Spirit. But what happened? Well, when the commandment came, sin revived, and I what? 
flourished, lived. No, he what? He died. There was a condemnation there. So when you come over to chapter 8, verse 1, condemnation here, he's talking about functional death. And if you can remember that as we go through this, he's not talking about you're losing your salvation because you slipped up and, you know, had a uh uh-oh, okay, for a few moments or years or whatever. He's not talking about losing the salvation. He's talking about the issue of having an adverse condition in your spiritual life now. Condemnation. Great illustration of that is Luke 15. Pull back there to Luke 15. Remember the prodigal son? Okay. Prodigal son goes off, says, Dad, I want my money now. I want my inheritance now. Goes out, lives, eats, drinks, marry, all this stuff. Wonderful thing. The end of, his, end of his days, he's down at the pig trough, trying to scrounge around out of the garbage, food. Says, you know what, I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to get with Dad, and I'm just going to tell Dad I'll be a servant. You put me out in the cow pasture, I'll work out there. I just want to come home. Pro- Dad sees the prodigal son coming. What does Dad do? He threw a big party, didn't he? <laughs> He's like, hey, my son has what? Come home. Look at verse 24. Luke, Luke 15, 24. By the way, he throws a big party. Who got mad? You remember? Older brother did. But when he, when he welcomed him home, he did not welcome him home as a servant. He welcomed him home as a what? A son. Luke 15, 24. For this my son was dead how? He's still breathing. Functionally, relationship-wise, to that father, his son was what? Dead. But, keep reading, and is alive, what? Again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Notice what he just said. There's a great illustration of what we're talking about, functional death. His dad says, you know what, he was dead, now he's back home where he's belong and doing what he's supposed to be doing, and what is he? He's alive again. That means before he left, what was he? Alive, doing right, living right, doing what he needed to be doing. Then he went off on a little flesh bender, and then he came back, and the father didn't kick him to the curb and say, hey, you need to come back to Romans 8. You need to, you know, do a, do a 10 years of forgiveness stint down on the back end of the farm down here. He says, no, he's my son. He was dead. He never lost his standing as son. See that? You don't lose being a son. You're in the family. That's why in chapter 8 there, Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children. You never lose being in the family. You're just losing out here in your functionality. Yes, sir. Yes. 
Well, I don't, the, he's not dealing with the spiritual issue here in Luke at all with the prodigal son. He's dealing with the functionality. Okay. Okay. Romans 7. Okay. No, sir. No, Romans 5, verse 12 says, death passed upon all men. So you, when you were born, you were born with a sin nature. Right. So, but that, that's, and that's what we're going to get into in the first part of 8 here. And what the rest of 7 is all about is that there is an innate nature in you that's been there from the beginning that's sin. And that's what's revived. That's, see, when he says sin revived, doesn't say it came back alive. Revived, you look that word up, it, it means get, goes into action. It doesn't mean be resurrected or made alive. It means now we're going to go into action and we're going to do. The commandment in verse 9 has to do with verse 7 about that issue of thou shalt not covet. He says, I was doing good until I got my eye on a covetous, the necessities issues. That's why I think he's talking about necessities. We looked there in Corinthians and stuff. And when that happened, I quit looking about being content. And I'm over here now do, drifting away. And as soon as I, contentment with godliness is what? Great gain. As soon as I took my eye off of being content and who I was in Christ, then I began to strive and try to do it on my own and I died when that happened. Right. Right. Well, the babies aren't, but it doesn't mean they're not sinners. Yeah. See, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul talks about their, um, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. When he says in 7, 9, I was alive without the law, I'm alive in Christ and who I am in Christ. But when the law showed up, it condemned me, sin condemned me, and then I died. This is all functionality. It has, because spiritually, they, he's justified. And you never lose that. And with, he was, Saul was not justified. No, because he's a blasphemer. Saul of Tarsus was a blasphemer. He broke Matthew's 12's rule. So he was a lost man on his way to hell until the Acts 9. And at in Acts 9, at his conversion and road, of, road to Damascus, he became alive. That's okay. Yeah, the, the stuff in Luke 15, the, the, the prodigal son, the parable there, the Lord uses that to show the little, to, to he's, first of all, he starts off dealing with 
the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes murmur. So he brings in, the, he, he does a parable about the, the lost sheep. He does a parable about the lost coin, the lost son. Then, then he gets into the prodigal son thing. And that's a demonstration for Israel that even though you are of Israel, if you're not in the little flock, you are cut off. You're cast out. And you're not counted among the, that, the believing remnant. So my point in Luke 15 was the fact that when that man saw his son, he said he was, he was dead. But now he's come back as my son. He's what? Alive again. The alive there is all functionality. Once, once a member of Israel becomes a member of the little flock, they do that by faith, and that's what, what, that's what God recognizes. So the loss of justification by them is not easy. I know everybody says it is, but it is not a case where they lose salvation. They lose functionality. Yes, and that's why last week we looked in, at Paul, and he says, I was a Hebrew, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I was a Hebrew. He, but under that law, though, he was dead spiritually. He was doing something that God found no, no uh, justification in. Uh, that's why, uh, where to go? Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. If you look at Hebrews 10, verse 8, above when he said, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin, thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are ordered by the law. See, God never cared about the sacrifice stuff. He cared about their heart. Why are you doing the sacrifice stuff? Because I have a heart of faith here, and what Moses told me I have to go do. See, the faith issue is always the issue, come back to Romans 8, with, with God. So in Romans 8, the condemnation here, he's talking about functionality, okay? And the context of 6 and 7 is all about functional death. When you're functionally dead, you know what you are? You're unusable by God. You cannot be used by God functionally in functional death. But yet you are still what? A son. You're still valued. You're still adored. You're still wanted. You're still desired. You're still accepted. Just functionally, you're not usable. And that's the condemnation that the text is dealing with as we go down through. That's why coming out of seven, what does Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I am. I am. I just functionally, I try to perform, and when I do, I mess it up. And then when I don't want to do something, that's what I go do. I'm functioning improperly. So uh, come over to 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 3. So what makes us dead and useless well, if we try to serve and live under that old performance system, the law program, guess what happens? We're dead. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. Look at verse 6. Maybe this will help with something what Joe was talking about. Look at 3.6. 6. 
who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. <laughs> What's that old letter of the law do? Romans 7. Kills you. What are we after? Serving in the newness of spirit, right? Verse 7. But if the ministration of what? Death, now watch, written and engraved in stones. There's your Ten Commandments. Was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Now, there's a lot going on here, and I'm not going to teach the whole case. But notice how verse 7 says, talking about the law, it's what? A ministration of death. See that? That's the law. But what is it? It's glorious. What in the world? Verse 10. Verse 9, for if the ministration of condemnation, there it is, be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. He's describing what we're, we're getting into in Romans 8. God wrote the law, and all that it was, and you know, and all that it was, it's the ministration of death. So why would he do that? Why would he institute a system that did nothing but bring about death? Well, that's what Romans 8 is all about. Now, go back to Romans 8 and notice it in Romans 8. Romans 8, 1. There is there now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Look at verse 3. If you, again, if you try to serve the law system, what are you going to get? Condemnation. It's a system that results in the ministration of condemnation, 2 Corinthians 3.9. It's a system that results in functional, useless, functional death. Now look at verse 3. Why did God do what he did there? For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the what? The flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God gave the law to demonstrate that there's something wrong with you naturally, nature. No external system out here is causing you to do what you're doing. You're doing it because you want to do it. I was alive once. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. But the commandment came along and said, and sin did what? Well, the motions of sin. It revived. It went to work. And when that happened, I died functionally. I was now useless. And you know what? Verse 3 says, God did it that way on purpose. He did it that way to cause you and I, to cause Israel. If you look over in chapter 9, of uh, chapter 10 of Romans, Paul talking about what's going on with Israel in the present day. You know what Israel needs today? They need to hear a preacher. What's the preacher going to preach to them? Paul's gospel. They need to get saved, buried, rose again the third day, faith in that and that alone. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. That's what Paul's doing. That's what he's talking about in Romans 7. 
You're establishing your own. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the what? End of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. What's 8.3 say? God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So when you come back here to 8.1, God gave that law to demonstrate there's something wrong with you. And who you need, Israel, is the Messiah, Jehovah. Who you need, world, Gentiles, is the man, Christ Jesus, without Israel being there. Okay? That's who you're going to need. Again, what usually happens is we misunderstand condemnation and we begin to throw out the, bath, the baby with the bathwater, as they say. Verse 1, living, there is there now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Again, notice it's in Christ Jesus, who walk, not after, the fle- who, who walk after, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Living under the law condemns you, and it condemns you all the time. But if you walk after the Spirit, by the way, after. I went after Linda to be my wife. I chased her. I hunted her down. Took out the bow and arrow of Cupid and boom, shot her. Missed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's looking at me crazy. No, after. You're going after something. You're, you're doing what? You're seeking that which is above. You're setting your affection. There's an intention there. And if you walk after the Spirit, you're going to have a a functional life, a useful life. So then what does it mean to walk after the Spirit? Well, that's what what verse 5 to 8 is going to talk about. But look at verse number 9. No, well, you know what? Go back up. Verse 5. Sorry. Kind of. Actually, you know what? Do, a, do me a favor. Come over to 2 Corinthians 13. Because you've got to see this issue. Because now in, in, eight, in chapter 8, we're going to be introduced to the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's do that just real quick here. 2 Corinthians 13. When he talks about walking after the Spirit, that's what he's going to talk about now, the rest of the, down to to verse number 9, okay? And he's introducing us to the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, and look at verse 14. Because we we need to kind of grasp what's going on here. The grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. That verse has, is a Trinity verse. All three, God, all three members of the Godhead are listed. The Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Okay? But notice he says, and the communion of the Holy Ghost. Communion. That, by the way, this is what Romans 8 is going to be all about. The communion of the Holy Ghost. When you have communion, what do you have? Fellowship. You have a oneness. And what Romans 8 is going to talk about in that issue of walk going after the Spirit, being in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, walking after the Spirit, Ephesians 5, filled with the Spirit, all has to do with 
this communion of the Holy Ghost. Paul says we are to, you know what he says? He says we're, quench not the Holy Spirit. How do you quench the Holy Spirit? Don't resist what he's doing. If you resist what he's doing, how he's operating today, how his ministry is designed to work, what do you do? What do you do when you quench something? You put it out, don't you? You know, you quench your thirst, you knock, knock it down. Well, if you're going to knock down the Holy Spirit and kind of dampen him, what are you going to do? You're going to resist what he's doing and how he's operating. Romans 8 will deal with that. Then he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of promise. Think about that. You can let the Holy Spirit down when you, don't, when you do what? When you walk in that flesh. When you don't follow sound doctrine. Man, if you're out meddling and muscling and stuff that's of no value, that's why Paul constantly, don't get involved in that religious system, doctrines of devils, seducing spirits. By the way, in Timothy, the second Timothy, that we, when we studied that, I showed you the church in apostasy. First place they do is leave Paul. Then they leave his epistles. By the way, they leave Paul I don't know if you noticed, various ways do people leave Paul and yet still quote him and talk about him. But they've left his distinctive ministry. Paul says in Romans 16, 25, that we preach Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. He doesn't say we preach Christ according to and then fill in blanks. It's the mystery. Ephesians 3, 1, he says, that mystery was given to me, I give it to you. There's no... Well, I give it over here. To, so the first place you do is leave Paul. As soon as you leave Paul, apostasy seeps in. You see it. Look at, uh, where are you at? 13. Notice, by the way, it's communion of the Holy Ghost. And we talk about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit refers to his ministry. When you see Holy Spirit, think ministry. When you see Holy Ghost, think his person who he is. In 13, 14, come back to Romans 8. In 13, 14, he is the Holy Ghost. He is a member of the Godhead in that verse. That's his person, who he is. When he goes to work, nine out of ten times, you'll see him described as Holy Spirit. You're sealed with the spirit of promise. He's the earnest of our, that's his ministry. Activity. We have we are to have a personal communion, fellowship with him. Now, how are we to have this? Well, come back to Romans 8. We're going to see the details of how that's to work. We're going to see the details about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, as taught by our apostle, is so different than how everybody else talks about him in time past or in the ages to come or in the book of Acts. Okay? Paul describes how the Holy Spirit here. And he's going to describe how he works. Now, he's not going to give you all the details. He's just laying in what? The fundamentals. Here's the foundation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Here's going to be the rule of the Spirit. The law, the fu- a fundamental thing here. The law of the Spirit of what? Life in who? In Christ Jesus. Has made me what? Free from the law of sin and death. You want to be free? Don't be over in the sin and the law system. Let's be over here in who you are in Christ. But notice, when he says that, there's no supernatural activity mentioned there, is there? There's no speaking in tongues, there's no sign gifts, there's none of that, is there? It's interesting. The answer to the defeat and the conflict, the mess of chapter 7, is the person in the ministry of the Holy Spirit who's committed to the act of giving you life in Christ Jesus. And that's the rule of the Spirit, the law. The answer to our spiritual problem is never found within yourself. So God says, I gave you who? I sealed you with who? The Holy Spirit. I gave you a power source. And you need to understand how he works. And what he's going to do is when you mind the things of him, he's going to give you life and freedom. Free. Again, verse 1, to them which are in where? Christ Jesus. The spirit of life in where? And who? Christ Jesus has set me free. So the question comes up, then how, do, how are we going to walk after the Spirit? Well, that's the next section, 5 to 8. But look at verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do what? Mind the things. What do you do with your mind? Thinking. By the way, you think before you're ever active. You don't mindlessly do something. Now, you may do something mindlessly after... 40 years of repetition doing that on the job, (laughs) okay? Until they throw what on you? A new computer system, and you go, oh, and then you're working on that, and then you hit an F1, because F1 used to do this, now F1 crashes the system. So then what do you do? You take a piece of duct tape over F1, so we're not hitting F1 ever again, (laughs) right? But what have you done for 40 years? Mindlessly, you've done the routine, right? Mind the things of the what? The flesh. What has your flesh been doing all the days of your life? The same stuff. Same thing. Producing what? Death. But they that are after the Spirit, the what? The things of the Spirit. We know what it is to walk after the things of the Spirit. You know what it is? It's to mind the things of the Spirit. And what does the Spirit mind? What does the Spirit think? Well, verse 1. There's now no condemnation to them which are where? In Christ Jesus. Verse 2. The Spirit of life in where? Christ Jesus. So what do you think? who do you think the Spirit thinks about all the time? Christ Jesus. Duh. 
Now, was that hard? You need a PhD and a THD and a DDD and all that? No, you just got to look at the verses. Nothing about being baptized. Nothing about raising the dead, handling the snakes, speaking in tongues, drinking poison. Nothing about any of that. By the way, that's Mark 6, it's all post-resurrection stuff. None of that here. But he says, you know what? The Holy Spirit is concerned. It, folks, it's simple. The things of the Spirit, when you walk after the Spirit, they have everything to do with what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is concerned with Christ Jesus. So as we walk after the Spirit, we need to do what? Think the same thing. We need to become consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what you'll be doing? You'll be walking after the Spirit. Because what's the Spirit doing? You'll be led up by the Spirit. You'll be, obe you'll be seeking and setting. You'll be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Walking after, minding, reflecting on the things of the Spirit. I don't, I don't know if you do that day, day to day. You know, we're up, up in Flagstaff and that snow and it's so, it was beautiful. Walk out in the back patio. We're, I mean, we're down right down near NAU, so it's very, you know, noisy and it's very busy. And yet it's quiet. Sitting up in the tree stand, hunting. I, the best part of that whole hunt that I ever have, honestly, is sitting in the tree stand because it's quiet. And you know what you can do? Think about the, these things. My mind drifts. Big old blackbird went flying by this last time. I mean, literally me to Paul from me. Just right there. And, and boy, you know what? They're noisy. Because what are they moving? The wind. And I'm thinking about, man, what a creator to make a bird do that. Now I'm thinking about the creation around me. And then the wind started blowing. I go, okay, Lord, you can shut the wind down because that little sway was a little much. <laughs> You know, because I'm sitting 20 feet up and the, the seat's going, woo, and my stomach went, woo. But you, you begin to do what? You begin to mind the things of Christ. The Holy Spirit's concerned with Christ, so you and I should be consumed. I shouldn't say concerned, consumed with him. All right, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin, and death. The law, the established rule. Sin equals death. That's an established rule. Guess what spirit equals? Life. If I want to have functionality, if I want to have, by the way, sin unto death. Functionally, physically, spiritually, right? All three avenues. Where is life? Physically, I got life. But I also have life where? Spiritually and functionally. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, and that it, by the way, verse 2 is a summation of chapter 6. Verse 3 is a summation of chapter 7. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The law couldn't fundamentally change anyone on the inside. 
And you know what the Holy Spirit does? He frees us from that mess. He frees us from the, the, the output and the fall and the hiccups of trying to perform. How to do it, I don't know. I do this, I, I want to do good and I do bad, and then when I don't want to do uh, bad, I do it anyway. The Holy Spirit says, let's think about who you are in Christ. Let's look at it this way. Now, time's up, so we'll pick up in verse 3 and talk about the condemned in the flesh issue, because how does he do that? How does he condemn sin in the flesh? And then we'll get verse 4, and we'll get into down in verse 5 to 8. Okay? 8-1, the condemnation is functional. It isn't spiritual. It isn't you losing anything. But rather, now let's go mind the things of Christ, which are who you are in Christ, what he's made, how God's made you in that, and let's be consumed with that. And that's really what the, chap- the rest of the chapter is going to deal with. Folks, the only answer here is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in your walk. That's the only answer. Otherwise, you're just bumping your head up against some, a plow that's never going to get plowed. It's never going to go because you're trying to do it. Now, it may go a little bit, but then what happens? You hit a boulder in the field, and now you got to stop, or a stump, and you got to stop. Okay? All right, Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction here. And then the beginning to look at the Spirit, his person, who he is, and then also his ministry in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. All right.